Hello and welcome to Hello's brand new podcast, In A Good Place. I'm your host, Rosie Nixon, and in every episode, I'll be chatting to an inspirational personality on my mission to discover how to lead the kind, happy and fulfilled life we all deserve. We live in a busy world and it's easy to feel overwhelmed or burnt out at times. So this is a podcast about real life, the one away from the spotlight. We're unapologetic about being vulnerable here at In A Good Place, and I'll be asking the same from our guests, all with the aim of inspiring others and helping you, our lovely listeners, to understand that you are not alone. At the beginning of each conversation, I'll ask my guests if they're in a good place. I love this question and can't wait to see how it is interpreted and where our conversation leads us. At the end of each chat, I guarantee you'll feel one step closer to creating the life you want to wake up to. I am absolutely delighted that Luxury Family Hotels are our partners for this series. If anyone knows about being in a good place, it's them. Luxury Family Hotels is a collection of five hotels, estates and manors in some of England's finest countryside and coastal locations. And having experienced some of their hotels for myself, I can personally vouch for them having put me and my family into a good place the moment we step through the doors and drop our bags. So let's get cracking. In this episode, I chat to esteemed broadcaster, journalist and presenter Mariella Frostrop. We discuss how to keep your sanity while navigating the menopause, the power of sharing our experiences and what self-care in an always-on world looks like to her. Hello Mariella and welcome to In A Good Place. There are so many things I want to talk to you about today, but there is a theme to this podcast, so we're going to kick off with our eponymous question, are you in a good place? Oh, well, I wonder if that means um, geographically or mentally, or I mean, there are so many um, interpretations of that. And um, I think I probably am. I mean, I'm in a good place. I'm at home um, in my flat in London, where I spend, you know, a small amount of time, but mostly I live in Somerset. And mm-hmm. um, it's always quite nice, I think, to be in the city for brief periods. But I'm always very grateful for the fact that we moved away to Somerset over 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, because that's definitely my good place. I just, Mm -hmm. I get off the train station at Castle Cary, I take a big deep breath and I just go, oxygen, you know, and I mean, (laughs) you know, all the way through the body. So, um, you know, some days are better than others. Today's a good day, uh, apart from the overcrammed tube. So yeah, I'm in a good place. Oh, good. I'm very glad to hear it. And I certainly relate to you. And I recently moved out to the countryside as well. And I get that shoulder dropping feeling every time I go back on the train. But what what does being in a good place mentally mean to you? Being in a good place has come to mean, for most of us, I think, being comfortable, content, you know, feeling a lesser degree of angst and stress than you do on a bad day. You know, I mean, being in a good place symbolizes happiness, contentment, inspiration maybe a bit of, but I think happiness and contentment really, which I think are two of the hardest things to to come by in the rather frenetic world that we live in now. 
That is true. And I know that you have been on quite a journey because I devoured your book, Cracking the Menopause, recently on holiday, being at the start of my own menopause journey. You know, I found it both informative and comforting to hear you speak so candidly, sharing your experience. And there was a lovely line that you said towards the end about having emerged to find the sun still shining on the other side, which I I held on to tightly. (laughs) Um, Why did you decide to open up your life in that way? I've always been quite vocal about whatever's preoccupying me. You know, I'm the eldest of five. I left home and school quite young. I've always fended for myself. So I'm probably more outspoken than a person needs to be rather than less so. And I think I don't have particular boundaries. And, you know, that's not always a great thing. But in particular with the menopause, I was just completely gobsmacked, dare I say, when I spent two years feeling really quite dreadful, anxious, not in a good place, mm-hmm. <laughs> anxious, not yeah. sleeping, and really feeling like I was slightly going out of my mind and, and no real idea why, you know, and I just couldn't think, you know, I wasn't particularly stressed about anything that I could think of and I wasn't, so they seemed really sort of indiscriminate symptoms and it took me a couple of years to finally, you know, uh, get to see a gynecologist who, instead of doing blood tests and going, I was pre, I was peri, I was post-menopause, it's got nothing to do with menopause, you know, it was a sort of arduous uh, journey before then. I, I finally went to see this woman, Sarah Matthews, who was just fantastic and just said, look, I've talked to you for five minutes, you're definitely going through menopause and what you need is some hormones and let's check Mm -hmm. your bone density and and so on. So the thing that that I was so shocked about, though, was that I consider myself to be a woman of the world, you know, someone who's lived through all kinds of different challenges. And yet this was one that was not only very, very difficult, but was made Mm -hmm. even more so by the fact that it seemed like it was completely unmentionable. It was something that, you know, it was... it was a word that dare not speak its name, you know. And and so I couldn't believe that. And that felt incredibly unjust. And yeah. like yet another hurdle, challenge thrown in women's paths that they really need like a hole in the head when you finally got to, you know, your 40s or 50. And, and so it was more outrage, really. Outrage was the reason mm-hmm. I decided to explore it. Because I thought I refused to be ashamed. You know, why should I be ashamed of something that's completely natural that happens to 50% of the population? But what I really did want to do was understand it. And and really, you know, when you're the mother of a daughter, half of these things you want to understand so that they won't go through the same difficulties as, as your generation has. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably a big propelling thing as well. Well, thank you so much for deciding to open up about that. Because as I said, I learned so much in reading the book. And the book is full of anecdotes from other women sharing their own experiences too. And some of the symptoms of menopause were really quite startling from swollen eyelids, you know, changes in taste buds, as well as those that we know lots about, like the hot flushes and anxiety. Oh my goodness. There's so many. I think the last count, there was, we did a count at one point and I think it was up to about 38. And then that increased again. And I think the latest count is there's up to sort of 50 menopausal symptoms. And the sad truth is that, you know, an awful lot of medical practitioners, let alone the women who are going through it themselves, won't know half of them. 
You know, yeah. I was I was one of those people who thought, you know, I wasn't having hot flushes. I had two, I think, altogether. Yes. And I, did, I, I thought, well, that is unusual because it, it doesn't feel like just being hot and sweaty like I am today after the tube. It, it felt like someone was sort of, yeah, set fire to my feet. I felt like Joan of Arc, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, totally debilitating. Yeah, totally debilitating. Um, and, 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 and one of the big problems that we have, and one of the reasons, you know, I'm still campaigning about it, is that we need better training for, for GPs. Uh, we need, you know, dedicated menopause practitioners for women to go and see so that the person you're talking to, I was lucky enough to find this gynecologist who knew enough about menopause to understand that the things I was saying were more important than, you know, any blood test or anything else in terms of identifying what the problem was. And, you know, for most women, sadly, that's not the experience. Most women will go to their doctor, they'll have to argue about it. You know, mm -hmm. one of the main reasons we wrote the book was so that you could go to your mm -hmm. doctor armed with the information you needed to be taken seriously about, you know, what was happening with you. And I, I'm glad you mentioned all the other women's experiences that are in there because another thing that really struck both Alice, my co-author and I, was that so many women go through menopause on their own, uh, you know, in shame, in embarrassment, maybe culturally it's not acceptable. You know, there are so many reasons. And we wanted it to be, at the very least, a companion for women... Mm home alone and trying to make sense of the changes in mood, the changes in your body, you know, so much going on. I mean, talk about a turbulent period. And I'm still very aware that although it's sort of out of the bag now and, you know, we're talking about it in Parliament and we've been promised an HRT commissioner and all of those things, that the women who are comfortable and knowledgeable about menopause are still the very tip of the iceberg. And there's an awful lot of women that we still need to reach, not just in this country, but, but you know, across the globe. Yeah, and we're still only just beginning to break down what has been a taboo. Yeah. And with such a range of symptoms out there, I mean, that in itself is symptomatic of why it is so difficult for women to navigate that stage. And so for those who haven't read the book yet, what were your sort of first symptoms of perimenopause or menopause? Well, I think that anxiety and insomnia that I talked mm. about, I, I mean, having read through the long list of, of other potential symptoms, I don't think I had very many of them. I mean, I, the anxiety and the sleeplessness, I think, created a slight sense of being out of control, and that might have led to mood swings and things. But I don't think that was my biggest problem. And I know that a lot of uh, other women are really badly afflicted by that. But, yeah, for me, just anxiety and insomnia, neither of which were ever things I would have identified with menopause. But even more importantly than being able to recognize the symptoms when your menopause is in full swing, as it were. The really big take home for me, which I'd never known, was mm -hmm. that, you know, really your symptoms start incrementally about 10 years before your actual menopause. I mean, menopause just means the date a year after your last period. For obvious reasons, none of us know when it's our last period. So we can't have a little goodbye ceremony or <laughs> anything <laughs> like that. You know, you only know a year later, and even then you're unlikely to remember the date it was. So that's what menopause means, it's the, the end of your, of your periods. But the period before, the perimenopause, which thankfully is now being talked about a lot, is the most important time. And that's the time when, you know, if you can 
take hormone replacement, it's, it's, it's the most important time to be doing it because that's mm -hmm. when you start losing bone density. It's when you can develop heart disease. And actually, for a lot of women, it's when they feel their worst. You know, once you mm -hmm. come out the other side, it's not as bad at all. So I think, you know, my symptoms were one thing. What I hadn't realized, though, was that even before those, um, you know, two years, when I was probably about 48, 49, way before that, the first thing that my gynecologist did was send me off for a bone density scan. I was like, why? Just give me the hormones. <laughs> and, and she said, no, 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 we have to take your bone density. And one of the things that this catastrophic drop in hormones that women get, which is, again, you know, really what menopause is, one of the symptoms of that is that you lose bone density. And that is really serious. That's no, no joking matter. That's not just, a, you know, a, a couple of hot flushes or a, that's what means that you end up breaking your ankle every time you try and walk down your garden path. It means, you know, it gives you brittle bones. It's, it's osteoporosis. Yeah. And I was actually on the cusp. I had, I was osteopedic, which is on the cusp of osteoporosis. And it was invisible. Shocking, isn't it? I had no wow. idea. And I would have had and no so idea. so little is known about that. Yeah. How do you have a bone density test? Um, what does that involve? I think that it was a scan, but it might have been an... <laughs> I think it might have been a blood test. Sorry, do you know what? It was like 12 years ago now, so I, yeah. I don't really remember. But it's really important. And every woman mm -hmm. should be getting one. And every GP should be recommending one. And we should have a health service that understands the things that are really imperative. Because in the long run, they're what's going to stop us costing the health service a fortune, mm -hmm. not not what are going to cost the health Well, exactly. So it's counterproductive, isn't it? <laughs> Keeping us all in the dark. And it really is like a penny dropping on a mammoth scale, a penny dropping moment when you sort of realise I'm 47 and I've realised that I'm ticking off all of these symptoms on the list. So HRT you've talked about, and there are some really informative chapters in the book on HRT. What other things helped you get through does diet and exercise, Definitely. supplements, have they all had a part to play? I'm not, I mean, I, I take supplements every now and again, but I'm not a very good pill taker, so I normally forget, you know. I, I, someone gave me something the other day called Ingenious Beauty, and so I've been taking those desperately because it says it's going to they restore my good. collagen, but I'm not <laughs> sure if it's worked uh, yet. Um, so supplements, you know, I, you know, I think... It's so subjective and I, I, I'm really reluctant to recommend things that there isn't scientific basis for mm -hmm. because I think women are preyed upon all the time to mm -hmm. buy all kinds of rubbish that doesn't make a blind bit of difference. You're and, right. And it's and, not a one size fits all, is it, at all? No. And I think, you know, absolutely, if you feel like you're deficient in something you know, then it's a good idea to supplement it. Menopause means you're deficient in estrogen and progesterone and maybe a little bit of testosterone, though I'm not. I don't really have to take testosterone. And so the most important thing, and it's so uncontroversial after you've looked into the actual details of it, the most important thing is to supplement those hormones. And yeah. unless you have a particular pre-existing condition serious mm -hmm. pre-existing condition then you know there's not a woman who shouldn't be taking it you know yeah. in my humble opinion yeah. you know obviously you need to seek medical advice obviously I'm not a doctor but I think that you know women have been told for way too long to just grit their teeth and get on with it yeah uh, we've been told that it's dangerous we've mm -hmm. looked into those reports that said it was dangerous mm -hmm. and you know 
experts who've studied medicine for decades have come back to say, you're putting yourself in more danger if you drink eight glasses mm-hmm. of wine a week than you are if you supplement your hormones. And in fact, most yeah. of the time, you're putting yourself in more danger by leaving yourself open to the side effects of menopause mm-hmm. than you are by using HRT. And it's infuriating that so many women are terrified of it. So many women say things like, um, I haven't given in to it yet. And, you know, it's a bit like childbirth, isn't it? There are some women who really want to do it naturally. And I think all praise to them. Me, I'm a coward. I'm a pain coward. I was like, bring me the epidural. And frankly, yeah. when they decided that I hadn't dilated enough and I needed to have a cesarean with my first child, with Molly, I, I nearly kissed them. I was so happy. I, was uh, like, I had a very similar experience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Get them out safely, yeah. however that may happen, basically, yeah, with as exactly. little pain so, as possible. But, but, but we do get, you know, pressure put on us all the time to be the sort mm-hmm. of natural, perfect woman. And I think it's really unfair. And it's one of the many, many responsibilities that society shoves onto women's shoulders. And I think we should shrug it off again, because why Mm. on earth should we suffer when we don't have to? And when there's proper medical science to say, this is how you navigate it, and this is how you feel better. And to ask for help, you know, to actually say, look, I'm I'm not coping. I shouldn't have to live with this level of anxiety in my life. It's actually affecting how I operate in all the circles that I want to be effective in. I need help. You think of all those women out there who are in midlife and are probably... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, experiencing the most demanding periods of their jobs if they're working women. And when the also, multitasking is off the scale at that stage of life yeah. anyway, isn't and then, it? And then all of a sudden, they're beset by mystery symptoms, which they have no understanding of, and doctors have even less. So, I mean, the amount of women who get prescribed antidepressants during this period... Mm-hmm. Which, yeah. first of all, don't make any difference because antidepressants don't cure your menopause. And secondly, that's not what they should be being prescribed. And it just mm-hmm. plays up to that whole myth of women's hysteria, you know, which mm-hmm. is just a total nonsense, you know. No. Well, we're getting somewhere, aren't we, with HRT sort of being available more freely once there are not so many shortages in different areas of the country. But there's still a long way to go. And I know that that's why you are part of the founding of Menopause Mandate. Can you tell me a bit about what the upcoming plans are for the mandate? Basically, we thought it was a sort of brief little campaigning module that that, that we needed. But actually what we've decided is that it needs to carry on, that there is so much yet to be done. There are so many promises that government, amongst others, have made that haven't yet been kept and we need to be holding them accountable. There's so much education that needs to happen in schools, and and maybe more important than all of that, or or, or at least at the same level, is ensuring that the training of medical professionals includes a proper module on menopause, not just a half hour if you feel like it in a Mm -hmm. three-year, seven-year course, you know. And um, we want to see every woman in the country get a health appointment in their early 40s with someone who's trained in menopause who can talk to them about what they might expect, what their symptoms might be, talk to them about when their mother had menopause, went through menopause, and so that we're all prepared. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's the basic civilised thing to do. So there's an awful Mm -hmm. lot of work to be done. I mean, it doesn't have to be GPs. I totally appreciate that GPs are really hard-pressed at the moment. And actually, you know, 
in a way, our system is, is different to so many others because we expect GPs to know about everything and they can't know, they can't be experts about everything. No. But, you know, menopause nurses, wouldn't that be a magnificent thing? Perhaps having an expert within every health centre would yeah. be a great step but forward, that, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be a huge step forward. And, mm-hmm. and you asked about sort of diet and exercise and I, I had this a little running group that I was part of, sort of school mums, all, you know, a decade younger than me. And, um, and one of them's a nurse and... You know, I was running with them when I started feeling, you know, these symptoms and things. And and she was so infuriated by the fact that she knew nothing about menopause, that she went off and yeah. trained and now does like a free clinic twice a week in our local town. And, you know, I I would give my right arm to have gone to my friend Vic's when I was going through all of those things and just have her understand what it was put yeah. me on HRT you know it, it just shouldn't mm-hmm. be so difficult to access it shouldn't no, be treated it's like feeling... it's, a, it's a gift mm-hmm. when you're given you know the, the whole thing is completely misrepresented and it needs yeah to and psyching yourself up to go and speak to a doctor you know it shouldn't be that hard but as you say we're not GP bashing at all because they do have a huge amount on their plates but these are all things that we can all hopefully be a part of by yeah. supporting menopause mandate and conversations like this when we can keep amplifying the voices of women at this stage of life. Now, talking about your sort of day-to-day life, having come through into the sunshine the other side, so you're a sort of glowing picture of health in front of me now. Um, I've just come it back is from a, a three-week holiday, I ought to be. Okay, all right, a tanned picture of health. That, a holiday does help, doesn't it? But um, sort of on Times Radio as well every day, talking about the wider world, and there is a lot of, uh, you know, instability, heartache, um, troubled times, you know, Ukraine in the news daily, unstable politics. How do you keep sort of perspective and sort of keep positive in this kind of always on potentially very draining world? Well, I think that's um, something that everyone, you know, lives with at the moment. You know, we're in this Mm 24-hour news cycle, news Mm -hmm. thrives on arresting headlines and arresting headlines aren't generally good news. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really, really difficult. I I think, in fact, I'm lucky and it's easier for me because I'm, because it's my job. I'm sort of dealing with it in a more pragmatic way. Yes, that's a story I want Mm -hmm. to cover. No, that's not a story I I want to cover. Oh, that's fascinating. Let's find out more about that. And so, you know, if you're engaged with something and, and reacting with it and against it, then it doesn't leave you as much time to be snowed under by it. In a way, if I was sitting at home and just listening to the news every day, I think I'd probably struggle more with the relentless, downbeat nature of it at the moment. You know, I think we're at a really difficult period. I think we'll look back in history and and this will be quite a catastrophic time. Yeah. And, you know, I feel very frustrated that we don't have the sort of leaders that we need to take us through a period like this i mean maybe in adversity in adversity those leaders will be created you know they must be out there somewhere interestingly you know one of the things i've discovered which has given me some hope is if you look away from the sort of big names in in government or in the shadow cabinet and so on and you meet mps up and down the country which i tend to do in in my job you do take heart from the fact that, you know, the majority of people who are elected representatives are there because they want to do good, they want to change people's lives, they want to make a positive difference. I don't know what the disconnect is that happens when they get into 
government or positions of high power. Um, and yeah. maybe we've just had a, a particularly roguish bunch in recent years. It's that you know, loss yes. of connection, doesn't it? It certainly feels. But, but, but I think also, you know, it's desperately important that we trust the people that we elect. So, mm. you know, when all of this stuff was going on about Partygate and everything, and I know there were people who said, oh, please, let's stop talking about Partygate and just move on. You know, there are more important things to think about. Well, I absolutely agree that there are more important things to think about. But being able to trust the person who's running the country or, you know, those people in positions of, you know, extreme power who can have a very big impact on our daily lives. I think trust is the absolute base level. You know, it's the baseline. Yeah. And and you have to, everything else has to be built on top of that. And if it doesn't exist, then we're in, in a very bad situation. And I really hope now, you know, I mean, I'm talking to you just as the Tory leadership contest is, is in its final days. Mm -hmm. I just really hope that we can move away from this sense that politics isn't important and everything politicians say is, you know, self-serving. And or, or or at worst untrue, because right now we really need people we can trust so that we can perhaps move forward. And rebuild. With, and rebuild, perhaps with policies that will feel painful. But, yeah. you know, I think most people in this country are just decent, hardworking people who are prepared to take pain if, it, mm. if they need to, if it's for a, a cause that they believe in, and, you know, if they're led by people that they trust. And yeah. those, to me, seem just the basic ingredients. So I guess, you know, that was a long answer to your question, but I think, I think ultimately, because I'm engaged in it on a day-to-day -day level, you end up having to be robust. Uh, it mm. doesn't, you know, when you have those nights of the, long nights of the soul when you don't get proper sleep. It, it and you're sweating. Up and you're sweating. Well, I don't really get the hot sweats. That's the I thing. do. I I'll be on the hot sweat thing. side over here. Well, I mean, it should be any minute now, because it was three years ago I made my documentary for the BBC, and any minute now they should be licensing that injection for yeah. hot flushes that, get that, I mean, diminishes them by something like oh. 80%. So it's definitely worth, you know, chasing up because often you can mm -hmm. be um, you can be the sort of guinea pig for yeah. it, perhaps. But just going back to him, it was interesting what we were saying. There is a lot of suffering, obviously, out there. But how do we navigate life when we can't always be happy? Do you think acceptance sort of has to come into it? I think that the idea of, of, of being happy is a terrible misnomer. It's a real sort of 20, 20th, 21st century uh, fable. Uh, you know, the, it's written into the American Constitution, which I don't think is particularly helpful either. You know, the sort of right to happiness. I think that happiness mm. is a transitory emotion. It's like sadness. You know, mm -hmm. it's like hunger or jealousy. You know, it's something that ebbs and flows and comes and goes. And if if your obsession or determination is to always be happy, then I suppose the flip side of that is that you're always going to be a bit disappointed. I and mean, ultimately... Yeah. What we have to try and be is resilient um, so that when the bad stuff happens, it doesn't floor you. You can dust yourself off and go, okay, today or this week or that month or maybe even in a worst case scenario that year was, I'm pretty glad to shut the door on it. You know, I always like the Queen yeah. saying it with her annus horribilis, you know, because that's a sort of act of closure that that's the past and now what will happen next? And mm -hmm. the truth is, 
that actually great things do happen. Little tiny glimmers of light happen on a daily basis very often. But if you're constantly looking for the big, the big blast of, of joy, <laughs> then you might miss all those little moments along the way. Uh, you know, yeah, I, it's I, true. I'm thrilled when and you often know, when those I... small wins make you happiest. Yes, don't they? absolutely. You know, the sun it's... shining. We've enjoyed yeah. a lovely summer, and that has made a big difference to my happiness levels. Yeah, if your teenager comes over and gives you a hug, you know, actually touches you, then yeah, <laughs> you know, cause for celebration. You know, if someone smiles at you on the street, you know, one of the things that I really notice don't happen anymore, and I think it's partly because everyone's on their blinking phones aren't they when they're walking down the street or on their headphones um is you know you know that thing when you catch someone's eye on the street and you just smile at them and they smile yeah. back at you it's such a nice thing that it is it's a beautiful moment again connection yeah and I think we don't really do that enough no and what about I mean along that subject of kindness do you lean into sort of self-compassion well, what I think I do, no, I don't know about if I do that. I think what I do is when I'm feeling really rubbish, I'm really nice to myself. Like I go yeah, and I have self-compassion. And I, yes. you know, and if I feel like getting into bed and listening to sad songs or, or, <laughs> or, or just like devouring a box set and hiding from the world, uh, then I'll do it because ultimately at the end of it, you do come out feeling better. You know, you can't be sad yeah. forever, just like you can't be happy forever. Um, and it's just yeah. knowing to try not to be a catastrophist. You know, I think mm -hmm. that I've got a tendency perhaps to be a bit of a catastrophist. I always think of the bad thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. So you and have I, to really put yourself into a positive frame of mind yeah. to switch around well, how you could interpret myself. something. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I just Our internal voice has got a lot to answer for, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I been, mean, I've been thinking of reading up more about that because there are a lot of good mm -hmm. books coming out at the moment about that sort of niggling voice that's never constructive, that just pokes away at you all the time. And I think... It seems to me to be actually more and more on the increase. Or maybe it's just we're more conscious of it and we, we, we recognize it and we talk about it. So therefore, it seems more prevalent. But in many ways, I think that's a voice that's enhanced by the easy reach of social media and all those mm -hmm. ways in which you can judge yourself now. Mm -hmm. And um, it, often that internal voice starts at a young age. Yeah, very it's very hard age. to flick the switch on it. And it might be an internal voice that you've had since you were a teenager yeah. when you went through a period of self-loathing or insecurity or anxiety for whatever reason. Well, I think being a teenager, it's a bit... When I'm nearly 60 now. And every time I go on holidays, um, I think... I'm not wearing a bikini. God, look at that in the mirror. I think there's no way, you know, and you think there's, you know, I'm going to, I've got a couple of those the slip over things, you know, whatever they're called. Um, Caftani things. Caftani things. And, you know, I'll just wear that <laughs> and a nice swimsuit underneath. That'll be sensible. And then I get to where I'm going on holiday. And the thing about taking off your clothes, you know, on a beach holiday is that a beach is invariably covered with people of all shapes and sizes, all ages. It's an incredibly democratic setting. And mm -hmm. so within a day, I'm thinking, I don't know, are these pants too small? You know? Uh, kind of, <laughs> and you know, are any of those people looking at you? No. No, no <laughs> but, but, but also, they're all, everybody, you know, we're all different shapes and sizes and, you know, got different skin colours and different, you know, it's all difference. And 
the trouble with social media in particular for mm -hmm. teenagers is that they're trapped in a bubble like I am before I go on holiday, where I'm not seeing difference. I'm seeing mm -hmm. photographs of Elle McPherson in a bikini and thinking, well, I'm definitely not wearing a bikini. Or, you know, I'm seeing photographs of, I mean, you know, most advertising is kind of, you know, 16-year-olds and 18-year-olds wearing things that can only be afforded by older women. So it's, an, it's a crazy thing because you're seeing it and you're thinking, oh, my, I, you know, my fat will flop over that or my, you know, and then you get there and you realize that, you know, we're all just human beings, a bit of flubber here and there never, never killed anyone, you know. It, it's true. And that self-comparison that is in your face 24-7 with social media is very hard to escape. Wrong. Yeah, it's very negative, um, very, very negative. And I think it's causing all kinds of problems. Mm -hmm. And I think we haven't even recognized half of them. I mean, I banged on for years before everyone's invited, sort of that hashtag was set up. And, and I made a program for Panorama about, you know, dangerous uh, sexual behavior in schools. Because I talked a lot about pornography and how you know you've got a whole generation of kids now who've been brought up in the first introduction most of them have had two yeah. sex and it doesn't matter how great a parent you think you are or how hands-on you are most of them their first introduction to sex will be pornography you know it's at epidemic levels and you know no we're probably not going to get rid of it yes we should have much much uh, higher bars set in order for kids to access mm -hmm. certain things on the internet. But more important than any of that, we need to be talking about it. And that's the yeah. important, and not just in denial. And that's the important thing about, you know, body image and everything else is just you've got to try somehow to, to get through to kids that, you know, what they're seeing is not normal. Not Kim real. Kardashian is not normal or real. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can like her or loathe her. It makes no difference to me, but, but she's not real. You know, yeah. and you can do and a million x-rays of well. a bum and whatever else. But the bottom I line know. is... And a generation of people sort of looking like a filter as well. You know, yeah. having aesthetic treatments younger media. and younger. Yeah. I mean, because what are those faces going to look like later in life? No, they're going to be... It's, it's like tattoos that are now, you know, huge rage. If you cover your body in tattoos, it looks fantastic, maybe. I mean, if you like that sort of thing. When you're 18, maybe when you're 25. As soon as you get to 30 and get on and your skin starts changing... And it's mm -hmm. not as plumped up as it was. And the pictures that you got tattooed on your body no longer look like they were meant to and are sort of disappearing and morphing. They look more like bruises. You'll regret it. But, yeah. you know, that's try and impress that on, on, on someone who's just about mm. to go off and spend all the money they've earned on a job that doesn't pay very well to have some giant wave scratched all mm -hmm. over their shoulder so no barbed wire on your arm then <laughs> you didn't no, do a pammy <laughs> not, not a single tattoo i'm afraid that i'd regret it like imagine you know poor pammy she had tommy all over her didn't she that I was know. a big mistake <laughs> oh dear does the aging process bother you though you talk about 60th sort of not too far off on the horizon yeah it bothers me i mean it bothers me because you know, it's hard to deny that time is passing and you can see the visual manifestation of it and, and you sort of feel a bit of nostalgia and a little bit of mourning perhaps for, for youth. You know, I mean, I look at my kids and their friends and I just marvel at how perfect they are, which is, makes it all the more frustrating that they don't realise it because, 
you know, when you get to my age, there's so much that you have to just take on the chin and think mm-hmm. it's fine. And yes, you know, I am quite sanguine and I'm not a person who ever really thought I was particularly good looking. So I don't think I've, it's ever been my currency. Like, I don't think I've ever relied on it. So the fact that it's not there to rely on um, is less of a shock oh, to me than rubbish, it might be to someone else. But, but <laughs> you I mean, haven't changed. You look as beautiful as you always have done. I mean, well, you really maybe seem it's ageless that to me. I see. Uh, you know, look, yeah. there's loads of it. Look, mm-hmm. look, look at all that, all the skin and the thing. And Just not visible to me. I mean, again, that's the internal voice. We're our own worst critics. Because <laughs> I've got a giant Change up that internal up in voice. Front of my face. Look, there it is. <laughs> yeah, there I'm it sort is. of covering yeah. myself with mine too. <laughs> Well, I'm going by the Joan Collins school of thought, and she has always refused to be defined by her age. Yeah, age I think it, is a number. It's incredibly important. I mean, that's the thing that, you know, I know is important, is to have the ability to still enjoy yourself, to, to, to feel free of the sort of stigma that society likes to thrust on you for being of a certain age, and to feel valuable still. And I think it's very hard. You know, people lose their jobs a lot as they get older. People, society treats them as redundant. You don't see anyone advertising anything to you anymore, apart from mm-hmm. Zimmer frames. You know, all of those things, they sort of build up as a as a as a big tsunami of, of 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 negativity and you have to be quite that's why i say i think resilience is the thing you have to be quite resilient in the end to mm-hmm. to just sort of decide to sail your boat on that water you to, to just go okay yeah. well, i'm just it doesn't matter how turbulent this gets i'm just going to keep going i'll keep navigating and you know there'll be there'll be up periods and down periods but uh, yeah you know, and tomorrow so is always a new easy. day exactly mm-hmm. exactly yeah which again brings us back to the importance of sharing stories and for all the downsides of social media it was actually through instagram that i first learned about the menopause mandate yes it was where i've absolutely. garnered a lot of information and heard other women sharing their menopause experiences obviously you've got to be careful where you get your factual information from um, but there are also huge benefits about finding communities that you can I feel totally a part of. I totally agree with you. And, and I'm, really, I'm really glad you said that because I think it's been imperative when it comes to menopause because it's been such a positive thing, yeah. particularly with menopause mandate, to see these hundreds and thousands of women upload their stories to understand both the the depths in terms of how bad the situation is, but also those really heartwarming stories and to feel yeah. that you're part of a group. You know, that's the mm. thing. We're not alone. We might well, feel that day it in Parliament when I joined you and Davina McCall and Carolyn Harris and Lisa Snowden and all those, you know, amazing women in the public eye that are doing everything that they can to break the taboo and to support one another. I mean, it was so uplifting. I was kind of like, bring on this empowering stage of life. I'm so glad to be a part of this group of women. This is a a tribe. That's a brilliant thing uh, to say. I go every... I mean, maybe once, maybe twice a year to this place called Yotan. I absolutely love it. And it's a crazy treat. And I'm very lucky to be able to do it. And the last couple of years, it's like a sort of boot camp, but not horrible, shouty boot camp. It's a, I mean, it's not even, a, it's not a spa. You go there, you go on a, 
like a wellness retreat yeah yeah exactly yeah you do a lot of activity you do yoga you do walking like really fast walking and you know it's quite challenging but it also you know makes me feel magnificent when I leave there I just feel like a new person Mm -hmm. and the last few times I've gone I've I've sort of hosted a, a menopause seminar you know so on the so it's attracted women which it already does it tends to be a lot of women around my age group you know so between their 40s and their 60s uh, yes. a lot of women and it's just been so wonderful to find yourself in a place with all these strangers uh, at the beginning of a week who by the end of the week are you know bosom buddies but more importantly to understand that all of these women are struggling with these same experiences and it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're fat or slim, whether you're, you know, working or not working, you know, this is a a liminal, it's a a passing phase that we're all Mm going to go through. And the more we talk about it, and the more we share our stories, and the more we support each other, the easier it'll be. Yeah, I think you are so right. And that is a really lovely place to end our chat, I think, as we've both been able to open up and share. And I hope that those listening have perhaps learned something or feel a little bit more supportive in whatever they're going through in life. Because you can be sure that whatever you're dealing with, someone out there is likely to be in it or to have gone through it and come out the other side. So that the more that we can bolster each other and support one another and share our experiences, the better, I think. So before we say goodbye, Marielle, and I'm sure you want to rest your voice having talked for the last sort of uh, day nonstop, I've got three quick takeaways for you. Um, Can you tell me what's the best piece of advice that you've been given? Well, I used to travel uh, a lot to Africa, still do when I get a chance, but but, but less so now that I've got the kids and everything else, because I worked with a, a, a lot of different NGOs with Oxfam. Now I'm an ambassador for Save the Children. Uh, I've traveled there for them, and I set up my own thing at one point. And anyway, so I've done a lot of traveling in Africa, and I think African women are amazing. They are so strong and so resilient and, you know, They battle against enormous odds, but they always seem to have the right priorities. And they've also got the best sense of humor. And I mean, I just, I've I've met so many magnificent women there. And there's this Ethiopian saying that a woman I met in Addis Ababa once illuminated me on. And it was, as the baboon can't see its red bottom, so a human being can't see their own shortcomings. And I thought it was just such a brilliant, I love such that. A brilliant reminder. That is so good. That there you yeah. are, blundering through the world, thinking, oh, yeah, I've got this, <laughs> you know. And, you know, trailing along behind you is probably a piece of loo roll on your stiletto heel, you know. You I just, know. But it and, could be a magnificent red bottom. But it could be a magnificent <laughs> red bottom. And I just loved the idea um, of it. And I've always sort of held that close to my chest yeah she tell me about that that's really it. nice so shake it like you've got a red bottom like yeah. that baboon um so and what is the one thing guaranteed to put you in a good place a great song you know one of those songs that transports yeah. you um, what gets you up and dancing oh. off the top of your head off the top of my head. Um, actually, um, I was I was lucky because the other day I, I said to uh, a friend of mine, oh, you know, I just I can't stop. When I hear shut up and dance with me, I know it's really <laughs> naff. I know it is, but I can't stop 
myself from dancing to it. I love a song with a chorus. I even mm. like a kind of rock anthem, you know, like you too, beautiful day. That is, that actually, that's probably would be my top choice just because I love the lyrics and, um, and the yeah. lyrics are really important to me in songs. Even yeah. in Shut Up and Dance With Me, I like the lyrics because it's an order. Um, and in <laughs> Beautiful Day, it's just that whole sense of, you know, here's this magnificence. The world is extraordinary. And if you just look, you know, there's a line in it where he sings about the oil wells at first light. And you think, yeah, flying over a desert, even oil wells at, the, at height would look amazing and kind of, you know, I love that idea of finding yeah, a the reminder good. and opening your eyes, really, and just noticing the view. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and absolutely. finally, what is your ultimate good place on the planet? I love my bed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't spend enough time in it. Yeah. But I really oh, I love, love it. Too. I, I mean, I, I would happily finish work, go home, get into bed, and conduct the rest of my business for the day from yeah. bed. You know, whether it's watching something, reading something, you know, dinner in bed, fabulous. I can't wait to be sick next so that I might possibly have my plate. You know, I mean, I just, I love my bed. I, 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 I make it very comfy, it's quite big. Because when the kids were little, we thought, oh, it'd be so nice to have a bed where even if we've got both of them sleeping in there, yes. we can still get a night's sleep. So we got an emperor bed. But <laughs> now what it means is I've just got acres of space, even if my husband is snoring far away on the far corner. Well, um, that's the key to happy relationship. I totally agree with you. And your own bathroom, which I don't have. But that's my uh. aspiration. Yes, separate sinks. I mean, we haven't got that, and that has been on my wish list for a long yeah. time. Separate sinks, bare minimum, which we don't have yeah. either, and own bathroom. I mean, top of my wish list. Okay, well, we've got that to aspire to, <laughs> to get ourselves into an even better place. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mariella. It's Pleasure. been really lovely talking to you, and I feel all sort of positive and energised now, and um, I'm going to go home and sort of apply my HRT and think of you. <laughs> so thank you so much for chatting to me today. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Really nice to talk to you. And thank you for all your support on the Menopause Mandate. It's so brilliant to have women like you well, engage with us. And, and you know, course. I really hope that it'll make the course of your menopause a lot easier or a lot less well, of a mystery than ours were. It has definitely opened my eyes. And certainly all of us at Hello, we're really keen to keep amplifying these stories, to keep it in the news, to keep the pressure on the government and do all that we can to make lives better for all women. It's not about special treatment. It's just no, about it's what we quality to lead it's a normal about, life. Yeah, yes. it's, it's equal treatment. That's what it is. It is. You know, and we have yeah, and to get treatment. us all into a good place. Exactly. <laughs> get us into a good place. But thank you so much for talking to thank me. Thank you very much. Take care. Take See care. You soon. Bye. Bye. Today I'm putting the spotlight on one of the hotels in the luxury family hotels collection, the Ickworth an Italianate mansion in the heart of rural Suffolk, set in 1,800 acres of manicured gardens and parkland and designed by the renowned landscape architect Capability Brown, a place to step back into history. A beloved natural trust estate, the Ickworth's Georgian architecture has been impeccably preserved and the romantic gardens are perfect for relaxing evening walks. Kids can stumble across secret gardens, play areas and lakes, finding trees to climb and sheep to befriend. The Ickworth is a luxurious experience. Guests are encouraged to seek woodland cycle adventures, relax with a dip in the heated indoor pool or partake in a game of tennis. 
The hotel has a strict pooches welcome policy, meaning your canine friends are welcome with open paws. Through genuine hospitality, the hotel offers the gift of time. Time for adventures, time away from the day-to-day, and time to create wonderful family memories. I want to go there immediately. If you enjoyed this episode, please do consider sharing it in case someone you know might enjoy it too. And if you fancy leaving a rating or a review on Apple, we would love that. We're thinking of this podcast as a community, so I'd absolutely love to hear your feedback and suggestions for guests. Contact us at HelloMag on all social media platforms. A big thank you to our partner, Luxury Family Hotels. You can find them at at Luxury Family Hotels. And don't forget to give Mariella a follow on Instagram too. It's at Mariella underscore Frostrop. Until next time.